It's magical, filled with wonderlust and courage. It is a story about an unlikely hero, one that is a page turner and will inspire you for years to come. It makes a great gift. Sad Eyes by Master Storyteller Dan Perkins. Now available at hollismedia.net. It's time for Black and White, a show that wants to bring all of us together, talking again about the issues that concern us. It's time to hear from people who only want to deal with facts. It's time for you to re-engage in your right of American free speech. It's time for Black and White. Welcome back to Black and Whites. And joining us today is a gentleman who's been with us before as a new book. It's Harlan Ullman. Is that the right pronunciation? Yes. Uh, and he has a new book, and it's a long title, The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming Existential Danger to the Divided Nation, to a Divided Nation, and the World at Large. And there's his cover, The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad. And uh, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to have somebody of your caliber on. You make my show look much better. Okay, tell me why. Why did you write this book? About 10 years ago, I became very concerned that the entire international system was changing dramatically. But there was nothing really that could capture this until two years ago when COVID-19 hit. And COVID-19, in a way, became this massive ac action of disruption that changed everything. And it brought in perspective how attacks of man and nature are really perhaps the most, the greatest dangers that we face. And the instances of these are, are very, very common to most people now. But for example, in terms of climate change, look what's happening around the world in terms of weather, in terms of, in terms of flood storms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera massive heat waves, look at cyber, look at social media, look at all these things are being disruptive. And of course, acts of countries and men, Ukraine has really disrupted much of the world. Some of the things China is doing are disrupting much of the world. And what happens in one place affects another. For example, six months ago, a ship goes aground in the Suez Canal and Detroit can't make cars because chips are not being supplied. Right. So we understand the fragility and the vulnerabilities that have been created by modern societies. And so you take that and overlay these issues of massive uh, attacks of disruption to the traditional pr problems we have with countries, China, Russia, it, the rest. These other problems could be overwhelming. And I think in some ways they are even more existential because we're not doing sufficient to deal with them. For example, what is our energy policy? What is our economic policy? What is our environmental policy? What is our policy for COVID-19, 2021, 22? We don't have them. And this reflects the greatest disruptor we have which has failed and failing government. Both parties have proven in my judgment, incapable of ruling. We've got to fix that to get the country back on track. That will not be easy, but the book goes into not only the discussion analysis of what's wrong, but how do we fix it? And that we have to start fixing it soon because quite frankly, we're running out of time and running out of space. These issues are now uh, overweighing us with, with problems that we cannot solve. So are you, are you suggesting that influential people or governments around the world 
are purposely trying to change the world or is it more accidental than anything else? Um, I don't think that's the real case. I, I think we do not fully understand China or Russia in the sense that I'm not saying that we have contributed to everything that they've done wrongly, but obviously countries have got different interests and they've got shared interests. And for too long, we have neglected the interests of other countries. My earlier book before the Fifth Horseman was called Anatomy of Failure, Why America Loses Every War It Starts. And if you go in, my war was Vietnam, but you take a look at Vietnam, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, we failed for the same reasons. Lack of understanding, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding how force was going to be used and the wrong strategic objectives and a fundamental misunderstanding of cultures. And so one of the points I'm making is that we have to be far smarter. We have to be better informed on events. And we're not very, very good at that. This transcends and has transcended uh, administrations for the last 40 or so years. That's one of the big things we have to overcome. So if we're not very good at it, how do we start over? We just keep uh, all one time? That is a very interesting question and one that I, I, I lay out. Originally, I was blaming the fact that Every president since George H.W. Bush, less one, was inexperienced and not qualified for the job. Whatever you thought about Bill Clinton or George W. Bush or Barack Obama or Donald Trump, they didn't have the qualifications, they didn't have the experience. Along comes Joe Biden. Nobody has been more experienced for president than he has been 36 years in the Senate, eight years as vice president, and he's performing as badly as anybody else. Worse. And so there's a profound problem in our country in terms of getting the right leaders. And if you go back and compare, for example, the members of Congress 30, 40, or 50 years ago, or the administrations, Jack Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, uh, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, they were filled with people who could lead. They were filled with people who could govern. Jack Kennedy did not even know that uh, Bob McNamara was a Republican. Think about that today. And so we've had a metamorphosis in terms of people who want to serve in government and the types of people, because unfortunately, as agencies of government and institutions across the country have become delegitimized, I argue going back to the Tonkin Gulf Resolution in 1964, 75-80% of the pe people of America supported the United, the United States government and believed the government. Today, it's the absolute reverse. And for the first time in our history, the former president, current president, Supreme Court, um, and Congress are held in the lowest regard in history. And so we've lost all that trust and confidence, which is going to take time to rebuild. But it's got to start from both parties. And I have some ideas that I have come up with. For example, right now, after the election, Joe Biden, whether you like him or not, he's our only president, has got to call the leadership of the new Congress into Camp David or some other place, lock the door until we can come up with some common agreement on some basic issues about how we're going to run the country. And we have to do that. Because if not, every issue will be 50-50 divided. And we are now sitting on a number of explosive time bombs. Let me lay race three, lay race three. We've got problems with China and Russia. Ukraine could get out of hand. But more importantly, never before in our history have we faced threatening challenges as great as we do at home and abroad. I mentioned two abroad. Right now, no matter how you come out on your view of Donald Trump and Mar-a-Lago and the documents he had or shouldn't have had, there is a possibility that if the evidence is correct, a former president of the United States might or might not be tried, convicted of 
crimes and, and, and misdemeanors that are really very, very serious have proven. That's never happened. Now, whether it does or it doesn't, if you get to the circumstances where there's an awful lot of evidence, no matter how the Department of, Judges, Judge of Justice or the administration makes its mind up, half the people are going to be furious. That could explode the United States. We've never been there before. I'm not saying that's happened, but this is a position our country has now put, been placed in where these events can really explode both at home and abroad. That's never happened before. And I'm not sure the Constitution is capable of dealing with it as I go into my book about that. Harlan, let me, let me follow up what you were talking about there. Um, when the, the federal district judge uh, agreed to uh, the appointment of a special master, right? If you, if you read between the lines of what she was saying, uh, I believe what I read was that she was reflective of the significantly diminished credibility and integrity of the FBI in the way that it conducted itself in the FISA warrants that were given to the FISA court signed by the attorney general and the, and the head of the FBI and other prominent people knowing that it was basically lies that were there. And so, but nobody's paid any consequences for the fact that they lied, that the court did not punish anybody for lying to the court. And so what we have is a situation where we have people who can manufacture whatever they want to their objective whether it be truthful or not. I have grave concern, grave concerns, and I've written about this. We have a situation in the Mar-a-Lago situation where the FBI, which had been in discussions and meetings with the Trump organization, made a recommendation in June of additional padlock, has clearly manufactured evidence and presented it to the public as, for example, all the documents on the floor as to represent to the American people, this is how, quote, Donald Trump and his team protected top secret information that was just laying around on the floor. I don't, I don't see how we can have a situation then that we can, we can even suggest that the Justice Department and the FBI are acting honorably and honestly in this particular case. Um, the idea that we have created an environment where law enforcement um, is breaking the law, it is, it is um, affecting our freedom of speech, and, and people are being put in jail. And we have people that are in jail in solitary confinement from the January 9th or January 6th situation and have yet to be tried. Um, and so I, I don't see how the American people, whether it's half or whatever it is, there's a, there's a significant number of people in the United States that today, myself being one of them, I do not trust the Justice Department the attorney general or the FBI. And I think if anything is returned 
by this, if the special master is approved, anything is returned to the Trump family. A lot of people are going to call for Merrick Garland's head to resign because we're having, uh, we, we have situations where the law enforcement entities at the federal level are trampling on our individual institutional rights. And the police forces in the state and local governments are so diminished, they don't have the ability to enforce yeah, let me, our let me, rights. Let me comment on that three ways. Sure. First, there are gonna be one of two outcomes. First, Garland's gonna to have to go, he's gonna to have to resign, as you point out, or Trump's in really serious trouble. But let me give a little bit of background. My book, The Fifth Horseman, starts off the preface with the inauguration of a president, a woman in 2029, from an undisclosed location, which is really a concrete bunker pyramid, simply because the White House and Capitol have been destroyed in riots, because the company has become so dystopian. And the point that you're making, what institution does the United States public trust in today? Republican or Democrat, who do you trust? That is a huge problem, irrespective of being a partisan, people can share that. And even the military today, which is probably the last institution is being held in great, great disregard, greater disregard for a lot of reasons, this is contagious. But the Boy Scouts, the clergy, the press, the lawyers, Congress, nobody is really held in high regard. That is a problem that we face. About Donald Trump, I'm speaking ex cathedra. Donald Trump broke the law, period. Now it's the Presidential Records Act. You can say it's not a, you know, it's like jaywalking. He was not entitled to the vast, any of those documents that belonged in the White House, he was not entitled to, period, end of score. There's no debate on that if you believe the law. But that's not the reason to send him to jail. If, however, he does have top secret, classified, SCI, uh, controlled material, special access programs, he has broken the law because there are no facilities in Mar-a-Lago Mar to deal with it. No matter where he puts them, you need a skiff, which is a special uh, classified uh, uh, facility to do that. So there are real issues here. What worries me, the fact that there are a number of top secret documents that appear to be empty, folders. Now I'm not suggesting, I'm not giving you any answers. I'm just saying these raise issues. And the exposure of top secret or higher material is defined by the law as extremely grave risk to national security. Now that's what I just told you were factual, absolutely factual. How this comes out, we'll find out. But I agree with you that a majority of people, not a majority, virtually all Americans are distrustful of most institutions and how do we govern a democracy? That to me is one of the overriding problems that we face, Dan, and I agree with you entirely in that regard. We, um, we have to take a pause here, and uh, we're speaking to, to Harlan Ullman about his new book, The Five Horsemen and the New Mad, and got to show him the book. Got it, Andy? And this is, Mar-a-Lago is a great example or a bad example of disruption. Think about uh, how that is disrupting the U.S. political system. It's making my point, sadly. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. 
Inflation for most people is causing them to use their credit cards to try and make up for income shortfalls. How big is this problem? In the second quarter of 2022, Americans added $46 billion to their credit card balances. Some of that could be you. The Federal Reserve Consumer Credit Report showed that the rate of interest on credit cards went from 14.56 to 16.65%. Those Americans struggling with credit card debt saw their delinquency rates escalate from 1.66% to 1.81%. The Cambridge Debt Consolidation program may be able to help you reduce the interest rates by two-thirds and cut your time to pay off the debt from 30 years to as little as five years. If you're struggling and you want professional and objective help getting your credit house in order, then call 1-855-435-2066 or go to the website cambridgeyescredit.org forward slash bw hyphen podcast and get your house in order. Welcome back. We've been talking to Harmon Erlen and, uh, and we're talking about his new book. And uh, we're talking about what's going on and, and what some of the, let's call it dire straits that Harlan sees that we are in as a nation and a world. Um, let, me, uh, let me throw um, uh, something in, in the water to see how you react to it. You talk about what's going on in various countries around the world. Um, it is clear, at least to me, that what's going on in China is extremely disruptive in China. Um, their zero COVID policy, the sequestration, the, 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 the destruction of, uh, of the economy and, and of people's lives. Um, recently, uh, there was a report from the World Health Organization that the one child policy in China will see by mid-century a significant decline in the total population in China. Yep. China is a country uh, uh, as, a, as a money manager and, and, and working with numbers and, and budgets and deficits. Uh, on a historical basis, uh, economies were, baited, were rated on their strength to the relative amount of debt they had government debt to the gross domestic product. We now have a $22 trillion economy in the United States, but we've got $31 trillion of debt. We're a, we're a net debtor nation. But China, its debt to its GDP number, its debt is two and a half times greater than- Or more. A pardon? because of the shadow banking system, we do not know how big the debt really is. Right, right. And, and so the, the diminishing population, uh, uh, an economy that's in serious financial difficulty, yep. how, do they become a, how are they a long-term threat to the world and to the United States? I wish you were in the administration. <laughs> I'm I mean that because look, we just look at strengths. We look at Russia, boy, they're going into Ukraine. Putin is a tough guy. Russia is really weak in many ways, that's their danger. I've got three chapters in my book on Russia and China. We call about China as the threat. The points that you make underestimate the weaknesses inside China. 100,000 big riots a year, four or 500 billion people living under the poverty point. GDP has got to raise. An irrational system that President Xi right now is using to choke off the entrepreneurs, which are the scene court for the country. 
and we're worried about the Chinese Navy, which we overestimate, because if I wanted to use the same numerical count for the Chinese Navy, the largest Navy in the world would be the US Army, <laughs> because they're counting all these little small boats. Right. And so we've exaggerated. Look, China is a very powerful country. It has to be treated with great respect, which we do not do. But as Nixon and Kissinger were, the way you come to an accommodation is philosophically. Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan was one of the most incredibly stupid acts. It achieved nothing. I will tell you, if Lyndon Johnson or Richard Nixon were president or Ronald Reagan, Nancy would not have gone. What are you doing this for? And so I agree with you, we are exaggerating the Chinese threat. We don't define the Chinese threat. And we're putting in, we have now moved our military to China as a pacing threat. China has, um, China is, is, is hemmed in by the so-called first island chain from the Kuros up in the Northeast Japan through Taiwan all the way to Vietnam. We could prevent China from ever getting out. China's yeah, dependent know. on foreign trade. So my, your point is absolutely right in, my, in my, my book. I go into ways that we can deal with China in which we agree on areas of interest. And in terms of our national defense, we're spending far too much money for the wrong things and it's not working. We're not containing or deterring China or Russia. All right. Um, I wanted to say that about Nancy Pelosi, a lot of people, myself included, uh, and yourself wondered why she went to Taiwan. And it took about 30 days and we found, I think I found out why. Because she wants to be, she knows she's not gonna be Speaker of the House. She wants to be appointed ambassador to Italy after her reign ends. And she's not says, the Vatican. <laughs> no, no, not, not the, the Vatican. Vatican. Italy. Much better. So, so she wants she she wants to be an ambassador. She would get that in any event. I mean, Biden would, would probably do that in a heartbeat. Right. I right. think the reason she went though was different. In Congress, the only area really of bipartisan agreement is on the Chinese threat. And so now they're coming up with the Taiwan Policy Act, which is crazy. All it's going to do is alienate the Chinese. And believe me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking the side of the Chinese. One of the problems in Taiwan is the Taiwan military does not want the strategy we want. We want a defensive strategy that I call a porcupine strategy. The Taiwanese want to have the ability to strike the mainland as a form of deterrence until we have a meeting of minds with the Taiwanese. And by the way, there is no way, there is no way China can invade Taiwan in the Normandy-like invasion. When we were going to do it in 1944 against the Japanese, it required 400,000 ships, 400,000 soldiers and Marines. That is off the table. China can do other things. It can blockade, it can obliterate, you can do all these other things, but an invasion is the wrong thing. It's not going to happen, and we should not be planning for it. And I go into that chapter and verse stand in my book. What is a better strategy? Um, I want to I want to uh, move on and and talk about um, what I see as a, a, a very serious threat to the world that is not being talked about very much. Um, I, I believe that. Um, when Russia decided to shut down the German pipeline, right, and they've decided that they're not going to supply energy to Europe, oil and natural gas, and, and potentially coal, uh, they found places to sell their excess inventory. Sure. And they look at if you look at the ruble. However, the European nations, which don't have any direct, any significant direct source of oil and natural gas, are going to have to be looking to. Um, import it from somewhere. Right. Now, 
um, a lot of people are talk about um, global warming and the heat because of the what, what you, you right. mentioned earlier in the show. Yet, according to the World Health Organization, the number of people who die from cold versus heat is 20 times. Right. Now, we're looking at a situation right now. It's the middle of September. And to the best that I've been able to find out, Europe hasn't found any replacement for Correct. the Russian oil and natural gas. I believe there's a possibility that uh, um, NATO will come to Biden and ask him to provide oil and natural gas for the defenses uh, under NATO. And right. that he will look for, try and find a way to provide that as much as he possibly can. Uh, I think that if they try to go to Iran, Iran will put a lot of pressure on Europe to agree to sign the nuclear agreement. And I, I don't think there's a stomach for that. So what's gonna happen is for the third time in a, over a hundred years, the United States is gonna come in and bail out Europe again. Now, not without cost in that, that Joe Biden is gonna have a lot of heat from his, um, from his Green New Deal people. But uh, we're, we're talking about the possibility if we have a very severe winter in Europe of tens if not hundreds of thousands of people dying from the cold because they can't get heat from the energy, they can't get electricity, they can't run their factories, they can't rent their transportation infrastructure. And as a result, we're gonna wind up paying a lot more for oil than we're paying today. Right. And I see that as a big threat. And I think if, 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 if what we're hearing from the Ukraine, that the, the Russians have given back substantial amounts of territory that they had captured, and that they've had substantial casualties. Russia is in serious trouble, and so is Putin. Now, there are people say that, well, the Russian people don't really know what's going on. That's certainly possibly true. But I don't see if, if he leaves the Ukraine that he's gonna open up the pipelines to Europe because I think he is a punitive type of guy. He will continue to try and penalize them as much as he can. So yes. while China, China is a threat, Russia's biggest threat is that they will they will they will strangle Europe and their energy. That's a, that's a genuine concern. I actually go into that in my book. Um, one of the fundamental problems is the United States does not have an energy policy. We're going to build all these electric cars. Pray tell, where's the electricity coming from? And so these are things that we've done to ourselves, and this is what is a massive attack of disruption because we got to start with an energy problem. Now, I think what you're talking about leads to a negotiation of some sorts in Ukraine, because it's going to be in the best interest of Putin and the best interest of Zelensky, if we convince them both. But one of the problems we don't have is an off-ramp or an exit strategy. What are we doing to convince Putin? What are we doing to convince Zelensky? And what would be the terms of negotiation? I don't think the administration has really thought that through to the point where it's got something that it can actually use. And that's one of the deficiencies I talk about, Dan, that we're just not doing enough planning because in the White House, as you know, the most, the most precious resource is a second and you don't have enough time to do this. So we need to have some kind of a planning organization. I'm not talking about a, a central Russian Soviet type planning, 
to think these things through because without a strategy, we're gonna be failing and we need to be thinking about that right now. And Congress could play a role here, I think. Harlan, I had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to interview a, uh, a psychiatrist right. who is a forensic psychiatrist and she is an expert witness in testifying to the frame of mind of, of people committing certain acts. Right. She believes that the Biden administration are the worst chess players in the history of the presidency. <laughs> and you're confirming that because they don't have, I, I, the example I always use when I, when I, when I, after I spoke with her is the day he became president, he went into the Oval Office and signed the, the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline. They had no clue what the ramification would be to energy policy in the United States when that happened. No clue. They just decided we're going to stop that because Green New Deal, green energy is where, where we have to be. And yeah. the, the, the administration, I'm, I'm, I'm retired um, Army infantry guy, um, grunt, as I used to say. Um, how the, the, the administration made the decision that the State Department was going to be in charge of the withdrawal from Afghanistan and how the, the State Department could walk past $85 billion with a world-class armaments and not even pay attention to them is an yeah. example of poor planning. Let me, let me just react to that. First of all, if you go back to the Carter administration, Jimmy Carter was accused of worse. And the same thing for the Clinton administration and certainly George W. Bush. So I'm not sure the Biden administration is any worse, but I agree with you, it's failing. But so have successive administrations before. That's one of the problems in governance and one of the things I raise in my book. We just do not plan sufficiently to be able to put in place, and I made this point earlier, people who can govern have got to go into office. And we don't do that anymore, or largely we don't because the incentives and disincentives are so great. Why would you wanna go back into public service to be humiliated and get all the slings and arrows of that outrageous fortune? It's a problem. And as I said, in my book, I come up with a number of solutions that people can read, I hope, about how we can turn that around because we have to. Hold up your book one more time. Buy this book, The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad by Harlan Ullman, who has been our guest today. And uh, thank you for joining us today and sharing your thoughts. Dan, and my uh, privilege. We'll have you come back again soon. Terrific. Great conversation. Thank you, sir. And we'll see what happens with Mar-a-Lago. But right. Uh, right. it's going to be bad. <laughs> Pick your outcome. It's going to be bad. And we're not ready. We'll be right back. We'll be right Thanks. back. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Take care. Okay, I'm going to sign off. Thanks very much, Dan. You bet. Bye. <laughs>
about zero inflation. Look at your checkbook or your credit card statement. You must protect your family from the ravages of inflation. You need to find out if gold is right for you. Go to blackandwhites.us and on the homepage, click on the gold bar and get connected to our gold guru, Ira, at Advisors Metals. And ask Ira, is gold right for me?